you don't need to go to college. There's Twitter and YouTube. I agree that Twitter and YouTube can provide really excellent resources for learning, for skill building, for sure. Um, but I don't think it's the way to go, right? Because like, what if in five years you guys decided like, I want to go to grad school. I want to, or I want to get an MBA or I want to be a doctor. I don't know. You can, you can decide that later. But if you chose to just to be like, screw college, I'm not going, you're closing all of those doors for you in the future. Hello and welcome to the Lewis and Kyle show, an interview podcast where my friend Lewis and I interview fascinating people doing all kinds of things like writing books, like starting businesses and cryptocurrency and internet entrepreneurship, growing audiences online, using and leveraging the internet to make the world a better place. We aim to make this content evergreen, and so we want it to be valuable to you whenever you interact with it. And so we've got about 90 episodes, 90 fascinating people that you can go learn about and learn from. This episode is no different. We interview Amanda Natividad. Hope I'm pronouncing that last name correctly. She told us how a couple of times. I'm doing my very best there. Amanda is called a marketing architect at an internet marketing startup called Spark Toro that's co-founded by Rand Fishkin, who believe created Moz, which is like one of the most trusted resources on SEO and like one of these kind of OG internet marketing companies and thought leaders. So that's a pretty cool position. She tells us a lot about and actually shares how to use that software using our podcast as a kind of test dummy case study during the episode, this episode. So that's kind of fun to listen to. Uh, we also discuss in general, Amanda's career trajectory, how she went from getting a communications degree at UCLA to going to culinary school, to kind of hopping around a bunch of different marketing jobs and the interesting story of how she got those jobs, why she left them when she did, et cetera, et cetera. We do a little bit of debate about college uh, and also ask her a bunch of other questions like how she grew her Twitter and, you know, kind of whatever else came up that I can't quite remember right now. I was really sick during that episode. I'm wearing like the same outfit, but this is spaced out by like three weeks. So that's just a fun fact uh, that's meaningless for the people listening on audio. I'm rambling. I'm going to switch the audio now. Enjoy this episode with Amanda. Amanda, welcome to the Lewis and Kyle show. Thank you for being here. Thanks for having me, guys. Of course. I want to start by asking a question. That's how most podcasts start uh, in hindsight. But not a, just asking you to intro yourself. We do that a lot too. But you have a thread and a really great article about how you're so successful at cold outreach. Uh, so I want to ask you, what's like a recent win that you're really proud of in your cold outreach arsenal? Oh, gosh. Um I guess I haven't done it in a little while, but maybe one example, and this is maybe cold-ish outreach. Um, I, I'm looking to start a podcast in the next several weeks. So I did reach out to, I'll say friendlies, because they're not all people that I am actually close friends with. But, you know, I, I reached out to a bunch of people on Twitter who I consider myself friendly with. <laughs> um, maybe we're acquaintances, we've engaged with each other's content before, and I've asked them to be you know, part of the teaser trailer and an early guest. Um, and so the way I approached that was, you know, um, yeah, they were someone that I've engaged with before, at least on the timeline. So I felt, you know, comfortable reaching out, but I also didn't want to assume anything, especially because you never know what someone is looking for at a given moment in their life, maybe whatever it is, you know, I don't know what they're looking for or what they want to be doing. Um, and so when I reached out, um, I think my message was kind of long-winded, but it was basically like, hey, I'm starting a show, uh, reaching out to a couple of people that I know, like, and respect, uh, trying to do, you know, doing some early prep calls and hoping to do some 
uh, doing hoping to do a teaser trailer based on the B-roll footage of this. Um, would love to have you on, but of course, you know, no pressure at all. If this is something that's not aligned with your current path, feel free to say no. And in fact, if there's a small part of you that thinks, ew, no, please do us both a favor and just say no. <laughs> so, because I think what I, what I really wanted was I really wanted, what I really want in this show is for people to be, you know, happy to be there. There's maybe a mutual, a mutual benefit for them joining the show. Uh, and I'm hoping that that kind of carried through. So there were a few people that called it out and were like, thank you for saying that. Like, I really appreciate it. Um, I do want to join. Uh, everyone I've messaged, you know, did reply. But, you know, I only reached out to like 10 people. Well, you were mentioning in that same article that your success rate is something like 80%, whereas most people, I mean, I've heard people say, like, if you have a 1% cold outreach rate, you're, you're killing it. Because uh, that means out of every 100, you get one. Uh, one thing that I started doing with Kyle a lot as well, just the point you mentioned about if any part of this makes you think ill, no, and only wanting people who have like that enthusiastic yes, is another big part of our podcast is just like referrals, like guests bring, mentioning a friend who like they would recommend to the show. And the way we ask for that a lot is like, who's someone you know that would enjoy this right off the bat, right? Not like who's someone that would be, this would be like a pain and really inconvenient, but like who's someone and you know that just literally cannot get enough time talking. Like they love seeing themselves on social media. They love being recorded. Like, and that's what we ask for. And then it's like a frictionless process and it's actually beneficial. Yeah, it's a lot better. And then and, and then even asking just for one person, I think it makes the, the, the person that you are asking, uh, and they, you know, it helps them be a lot more judicious about who they suggest, right? Hopefully you're getting good quality, you know, recommendations and that it's easier to secure guests after this. Definitely. Uh, we did skip the intro, which I made a big point of mentioning it. Uh, but let's let's backtrack now and just have you give us the, the quick pitch of like who you are, what you're doing now. I know Kyle and I are vaguely familiar with Spark Toro, not extremely, so definitely like curious both mm -hmm. what you do there and what the actual product is, because uh, it's a cool name, but not immediately uh, not immediately self-explanatory. Uh, so let's let's go from there. Oh yeah, sure. Um, let's see, where do I start? Because I want to make this like, economical. Um, we're no rush. We're, we're not we're not going to time yeah. you. Okay, let me think for a second. Um, so, okay, so I will just kind of introduce myself and SparkToro. Uh, I'm a marketer and writer. I've worked across all kinds of industries. I worked at like a snack company, tech company, content marketing agency. Uh, but for me, marketing is actually a third career. Prior to this, I worked in tech news and I was also a classically trained chef. Uh, but today, you know, you brought this up. I work at SparkToro. Uh, we provide audience research tools for anybody. Uh, you know, our, our core customer is a marketer. Um, and so what we do is we help people find their target audience's sources of influence. So things like what podcasts they listen to, which websites they frequent, and what social accounts they follow. So um, that's kind of the initial pitch. Uh, SparkToro is truly a startup. It's just the three of us, uh, myself and co-founders Rand Fishkin and Casey Henry. Uh, and you might know Rand as the founder of Moz and really the first person ever to codify SEO best practices. Yeah, wow. I want to talk a little bit about your transitions in your career because mm -hmm. like, <clears throat> I can kind of see from tech journalism to marketing and, and how that kind of works, but cooking to tech is, is pretty crazy. So like, what were those periods like where you were transitioning from cooking to tech journalism and then from tech journalism to marketing? Yeah, it's a good question. Um, 
So I was in tech journalism for a couple of years, and then I just sort of felt myself plateauing. Like, I was, you know, I think I was pretty good at my job, but I knew I wasn't great, and I knew I wouldn't be great unless I really truly put in that extra, you know, the extra effort. But um, I think I was at least self-aware enough to know why I wasn't putting in that extra effort, right? I think I was realizing that this wasn't the career that I wanted to be in longer term. Um, and then I was also aware enough of, you know, being young, right? I was still in my like mid twenties and realized like, okay, if, if I'm going to do something kind of big or different now is kind of the best time, right? Like, you know, still pretty young before being married, didn't have, you know, didn't have a kid, all that stuff. So I had realized a passion for cooking and for baking. And in the meantime, I, I started doing a little bit of research into culinary schools because I, I, it was one of those pipe dreams where I thought, if I, was, if I ever became rich, I would, you know, spend some time and go to culinary school, thinking it was, like, ridiculously expensive. Um, but when I looked into it, they had, Le Cordon Bleu had a shorter program that was half the cost, half the time, and it was geared towards people who worked full time. So it was only a couple hours a day. And I thought, like, oh, this actually isn't that expensive, and this is pretty affordable, and it's pretty cool to have a culinary degree. Like, I think that'd be kind of fun. Um, and along the way, I, I was thinking about becoming a food writer. Um, but, like, I didn't work at a restaurant. I didn't have any food expertise. So I also thought, like, I need to build some kind of credibility because there are so many food bloggers who just blog about food. And I, I wanted to kind of give myself some competitive edge. Um, but I also didn't do any research in food writing. <laughs> And like I, I had like quit my job, right? I was, you know, I finished up culinary school, was looking for a, you know, full-time food writing job, realized pretty early that there are very few available writing jobs. <laughs> there are like maybe eight jobs in the U.S. and they're all taken. So I was like, oh, okay, I got to, I got to figure something else out. So then I kind of used my tech experience to research a bunch of what, what all the heavily funded food tech companies were. So I made a spreadsheet of all those companies in the space, you know, looked at their websites, right? Looked at their offerings, um, made a short list of the companies that I thought were interesting. And then I did my cold outreach, right? I, I even emailed the info at um, email alias because it, if, if it was whatever I could find. And I would just say like, hey, I, I, you know, I don't actually have marketing experience. Oh, and these were for like content marketing roles because I thought like, okay, I worked in journalism. I can probably figure out this thing called content marketing. So when I reached out to them, I would say like, hey, I don't have actual marketing experience. I have related experience. Here are some skills that I have. Um, here's what I'm looking for. Do you think there's a fit? And then one of those companies, NatureBox, uh, replied and they were like, oh, we're not hiring at the moment, but you seem cool. Like you seem like not a weirdo. Um, let's stay in touch. And then we did and the rest was kind of history. What about the, wait, no, just kidding. I was like, you, you covered both transitions there. I, I got caught up in the second story. I forgot there was a first. Uh, I want to ask now another, uh, we didn't bring this up earlier, but is it your podcast still in like ideation kind of private beta or are you discussing like what you're going to be doing yet? Like the show concept? Uh, it's still kind of ideation phase. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So I haven't actually, I, this is like my first time mentioning it uh, publicly, but It'll be out hopefully in the next month or so. We'll see. 
<laughs> will it be an interview-based podcast or will it be you talking about marketing or, or what's the general idea right now? Uh, generally, I think it'll be interview-based, uh, um, you know, me interviewing creators and marketers, um, kind of anyone in my network who's down to, to chat honestly and candidly and um, anyone who hopefully just doesn't mind talking to me. <laughs> I think you'll uh, there'll be a lot of people who match that criteria. One thing Kyle and I really like to do with marketers and just subject matter experts, generally speaking, especially when it's irrelevant expertise, uh, is just kind of ask them to apply what they know to like the project we're doing. So obviously, SparkToro is all about online marketing, audience research, etc. What do you think is some low-hanging fruit for like myself and Kyle to be growing the reach of our show or just any podcaster or content creator generally? Uh, some just like easy low-hanging fruit, easy wins a lot of people might not know about that they can use some content marketing strategies to really improve. Oh, that's a really good question. Um, you know, so at SparkToro, we're really good at helping you find the places where your audience already is or where your audience probably is. Um, and so if I were you, I would, I would be thinking about ways that I can amplify this podcast, um, amplify yourselves by partnering with um, other, other people or podcasts or whatever entities there are. So just to be a little bit more specific there, um, what I might do, and you could do this in a, in a number of ways because you can run different kinds of SparkToro queries. Um, so one thing I would say is I would, maybe I would start with, you can kind of see SparkToro as a search tool, right? Because you run queries based on searches like my audience follows the social account you know, Kyle Bishop, and you just, you would maybe paste in your handle and then you would see that. Or maybe you would do my audience follow, uh, my audience frequently visits the website and then you would type in um, a website URL that you think is probably influential in your niche, right? So that could be anybody, right? That could be like maybe Morning Brew, right? Like maybe you have similar, um, you have some kind of audience overlap with people who probably also read uh, Morning Brew. So I would look at that and then I would look at some commonalities or just look at some insights. Like you can see text insights, like things like, let's say person frequently visits or audience frequently visits Morning Brew. Uh, they also talk about like crypto. They also talk about investing. Um, those could be topics that you could consider exploring if you felt like it was a fit or if you were interested. Uh, or you could also find some of the social accounts that follow Morning Brew. And maybe you could dig in and find some hidden gems. Hidden gems are, you know, accounts that we deem as like high engagement, but maybe not mainstream yet. And maybe do some outreach to those people, have them as guests, um, or even see if they have a newsletter, right? And then maybe you could consider, um, you know, you could consider doing some kind of sponsorship and say like, hey, you have a newsletter. Do you ever do um, sponsors? Like that might be kind of cool to get more visibility for your show. But the possibilities are kind of endless. I wanted to bring up a couple of different types of examples. Is it more helpful to start out? Because like Morning Brew at this point is like a huge readership. It kind of at, you know, I don't know mm -hmm. at what point to date it. But when it started out, it was just a couple thousands of like college students at like business. So at that point, it's like if we could uh, put mm -hmm. into SparkToro, morning brew within the first two years, that'd probably be like the perfect resource. But now it's probably like the umbrella catches just like anyone who's generally interested in business or financial news. So is it more optimal to have someone who's just like 
that closer fit or like smaller umbrella? That's a really good question. Yeah, that is a really good question. I mean, I think I, I tend to agree in that um, that could be too wide of an audience for you to feel like there's meaningful data, right? So we usually say that a good data set in SparkToro, meaning like number of people within a given audience, is usually, I think we say between five and 10,000, right? Where that's going to be representative of a broader population, also maybe small enough for you to feel pretty confident about being able to reach certain people in that audience, um, but I could even just pull up a report right now as we talk. Is there like a popular website, um, that you guys have in mind that's similar to your audience or social account or other podcast or, um, or even just uses the words in their profile? Like, is there a way people in your audience probably self-identify and you, would you search for them in that way? Kyle, were you about to suggest something? The first thing that comes to mind is visual capitalist, but I mean, that's just something that I that's really awesome. like. So yeah, visual capitalist is pretty cool. Um, I was going to say, I think like, uh, what about like other podcasters who are similar to us, but potentially like 10 to 10 to 15 X bigger shows. It's like two past, we've had Danny Miranda on the show, right? He's like a very similar uh, type of show, very similar type of audience. And he's just probably 10 to 20 times bigger uh, from, or like mm-hmm. same, if you've heard of blog of Jake, Right, like I think these are two mm-hmm. people we've had on the show. Shout out them. Shout out those episodes. You can check them out. Uh, mm-hmm. Those so two people who host similar shows uh, that have potentially different audiences and or just bigger. Mm-hmm. That's a good question. So Danny Miranda is a really good example. Um, so I'll run a Spark Pro search for him. I'll analyze uh, people who. Um, let's see, my my audience. Follows the social account. Hey, Danny Miranda. And this is good because, you know, he has a large enough following where you'll, yeah, you'll see that there are meaningful results. But, you know, totally. So this is kind of interesting. So the people who follow, hey, Danny Miranda, uh, people frequently talk about mental health, comfort zone, customer service, Jeff Bezos. <laughs> um they also, they're a very crypto enthusiastic audience. They talk about NFTs, well, super interesting. Ethereum. Super cool, right? And then top words in their bios. This is interesting to me. Top words in the bios of people who follow Danny Miranda are founder, husband, uh, father, which kind of surprises me because I would have thought... College um, student. Yeah. 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 Um, and then we can even look at demographics of this audience. So we can look at gender and age. Um, looks like 55% of the people who follow Danny are between the ages 26 to 35. That's more than I would have thought. So. That's older. Yeah. yeah. Same here. That's interesting. Hey, Danny so Miranda. What's up, yeah, right? bud? <laughs> <laughs> hey, you, can, you can run the same report on our show, right? So this is, this is right. fair game. Uh, is this... <laughs> public information that y'all just have the software know how to scrape and organize mm-hmm. or is this something you have privileged access to or paid to have access to how how like how do you have access to these insights yeah so it's everything that is publicly available online and we present it we, we present it to you on aggregate and de-identified mm. so you know so it's not creepy yeah. right so you can get a sense of like demographics wise what are people following doing online um but it'll help you, you know, position your content better, maybe find people who can help amplify the content you're creating, or it could even help you with um, 
uh, with performance marketing, right? Like if you are trying to do some better targeting uh, within like Facebook ads, right? You can, you can you can access some certain like social accounts here in SparkToro. And, you know, I think a lot of what we are doing is, um, well, a lot of what we're doing is it's stuff that the big tech companies like Facebook, Google, or Amazon are de-incentivized to tell you because the more that, right, the, and like we're already seeing this, right, with like, well, one, Facebook had the Cambridge, the Cambridge Analytica scandal, so they have tried to walk away from like providing so much data. Um, Google has provided less and less data to the marketers who pay to play in their platform, right, because they kind of want you to be dependent on them, right? They want you to be like, okay, Google, like, here's more money, I trust that you'll know what to do with it. Um, so what we do is we, we help give you those insights that those companies are directly incentivized not to give you. <laughs> yeah. I think we're going to rewrite our byline as like the Lewis and Kyle show the the perfect show for husbands in crypto looking to improve their mental health. And we'll just, <laughs> we'll yeah. just numbers go, it's perfect go through the roof. Uh, what is, so your title is marketing architect and I've heard you kind of give the backstory a little bit on some other podcasts where it's kind of like. You needed a title, so that's what you came up with. Uh, but like, what does it mean to be a marketing architect? Like, why do you choose that title? Like, what's like your your role? Yeah, so there are a couple of reasons. I mean, depends on like what mood I'm in and how I would answer it, right? But uh, maybe maybe my funny answer, my funny like personal answer is I kind of like the idea of having this title that nobody has to just as kind of a thumb in the nose to be like screw all, screw you guys and your fancy fake titles like. All titles are essentially arbitrary, right? So why not just make it up? That's one answer. The other answer is there is a practical answer of like, you know, I'm the first person that Rand and Casey have hired. So it would be weird to be like, you know, to go for like CMO title when it's just three of us, right? Or like VP of marketing when I'm not managing anybody yet, right? So, um, we went with architect because we kind of see this role that I'm in as building the foundation for what a marketing team could be or what a product team could be and what a customer experience team could be. Because, you know, in this at this stage in our company, right, we none of us are above any kind of work. Like we all respond to customer support tickets. It's just part of our job. So it's also not a it's not a purely marketing role that I'm in, even though it is mainly marketing. That reminds me of a tweet that I saw the other day where it was talking about you're not a chief executive officer unless other chief ex or other executive officers answer to you. Like that's just you're not a CEO. Yeah. Right? But this Yeah, I kind of agree. <laughs> I mean, this comes into uh a conversation that I know that we were sort of planning on having which is having which is around credentialism and like, you know, you talked about how like it doesn't matter what your title is, it matters what you do, right? Like it like just because you can slap a name on your LinkedIn, it doesn't equate anything about who you are or like what kind of person you are. And I think that that, you know, comes back into this question of college and like, what do we go to college for, for the credentials and like, why do they matter? And it's like, well, why do titles matter? And I think that this is sort of, you know, the conversation that we wanted to open up with you about um, community college and, and how, you know, some things that might seem like their bad alternative are actually the best alternative and like weighing things in that way. Um, I'm kind of talking all over the place, but 
the question, I guess, is just like, how should we think about credentialism? How should we make good decisions in the face of this like idea that some things are important when they're really not? Yeah, it's a really interesting question. And I'm, I'm going to be very curious what you both think is about this, too. Um, I mean, to that point, right? Like, you know, a title, just a title. Anyone can put a name here and there. Um, but at the same time, I, I still think a lot of these things do matter, right? Like, um, like, I guess the way I think about it is I think when we are, well, and it doesn't apply just to young people. I think it applies to anybody, but I think we do ourselves a favor by trying to de-risk the future for ourselves as much as we can. I keep that kind of broad. Um, and I think for young people, I think it, I, yeah, I think there's a case to be made that it's crazy to be like, hey, young person, decide, you're, you're, set, you're 16, 17, you need to get straight A's and figure out what you are going to be for the rest of your life and apply for the, for the right college, choose the right major, do that, and then be a fully formed adult in like six years. Good luck. Right. I say 16, 17, because that's usually when you start thinking about college. Right. Or thinking seriously about it. And then when you think about it that way, I think it's ridiculous that our entire adult lives are decided by a 16 year old version of ourselves. That's crazy. So same time, that's where I think like, you know, that's where it could make it makes sense to have the college degree. That's kind of a de-risking of your future. Right. Because, um, it opens up more more doors for you in the future. Now, I don't think college is for everybody. Everybody has their own path. Everyone should figure that what 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 that is. And we see this a lot on Twitter, right? Where on Twitter people are like, "You don't need to go to college." There's Twitter and YouTube. I agree that Twitter and YouTube can provide really excellent resources for learning, for skill building, for sure. Um, but I don't think it's the way to go, right? Because like, what if in five years? You guys decided like I want to go to grad school. I want to, or I want to get an MBA, or I want to be a doctor. I don't know. You can you can decide that later. But if you chose to just to be like screw college, I'm not going. You're closing all of those doors for you in the future. So, um, and we you, you know, Kyle, you mentioned community college. That was the path that I chose, right? And I think it's safe to say, right? That's a pretty stigmatized path, right? I think we've all heard like. And I, and I, of course, I heard it a lot too when I was when I was young. I heard a lot of like, "Oh, that's so sad that you're doing that." I thought you were smart. Like, "Oh, like I guess you didn't have a future, so you have to do this now." Like, I got a lot of that constantly, and um, and I get it because the transfer rate from a community college to a university is so low. Um, but I think it's I think it's because like we don't set people up for success in that. We 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 push people, we push young people to just to go to college no matter what, try to go to Harvard, what we know all the, all these schools that are nearly impossible to get into. It's like, and it's kind of like either that or like, guess you don't have a future. But I think if we provide more education for and work to destigmatize community college, that could be a really viable future for somebody. It, it worked out well for me because it was the path that I very purposefully chose and like really like dug in and tried to learn and learn that system and how to go about it. Um, and then as a result, I, I spent one third of the cost for a degree from UCLA. And it's the same degree that anybody got when they got in as a freshman, same classes. 
Um, and I, you know, graduated from the most competitive uh, major that they have. What was that major? Just for, I yeah, know people are going to want to know. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was communication studies. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think it's because, like, it's a, it's a pretty broad major. So people, so it's highly competitive. And I, at the time that I applied, you had to have a minimum of a 3.9 GPA to be considered wow. for it. So I worked really hard to get good grades to get into that major. Um, I assume it's probably still similarly competitive mm -hmm. today, but yeah. Yeah, I definitely agree with the stigma around community college existing. I think, you know, it's very important to not go into consumer debt and like it can trap you and, and change your life forever. I mean, I think that one thing that you touched on in the beginning is um, like it's strange that we have 16 year olds sort of deciding the course of their life when they're 16. But I think that at the same time, though, like you're always doing that every day. Every decision that you make is like you know, has effects into the future that are unpredictable. And like, and even when I was 15, I was making decisions every day that were affecting who I am now. And so like, no matter what, you're going to do that. But I really like your, your sort of like mental model around de-risking the future and how taking different actions like going to college, like getting a degree sort of like, you know, put a, uh, a floor on your earning or like the quality of life that you might be able to obtain in the future. Um, and you know, I think that that's really an interesting way of looking at it. I also thought when I read your email to us just about how individual some of these things are like, um, you know, you take two people and put them into school here at the university of Alabama. And like, based on those two people's actions, their, their, uh, experience here is going to be completely different. Like one can get friends and opportunities and good grades or, and blah, blah, blah. And the other based on their decisions will do really poorly. And like, I think that, you know, because everything is that way, it's like everything is extremely individual and like any statement that's like, well, college is just stupid or call it like college isn't worth it. Um, it's like, well, yeah, for sure. If you decide that it's not, then it's not going to be for you. But if you decide to, to work for it and like work for, I guess the, the end and the goals that you want, then it is going to be worth it. And so it's just, it all comes down to the individual, I think. And I've been, you know, outspoken on this podcast before sort of like degrading, um, college, I guess you could say. And I sort of regret that now. I think, you know, it, I, I've come to the conclusion that it's just so individual that making broad statements on the system um, is is wrong. Totally. What? Uh, so, did you consider dropping out at some point? Yeah, I mean, I've considered uh, dropping out. <laughs> That's me answering for myself, not not for Kyle. Um, yeah, uh, I, I would say that we both considered it. Um, you know. <laughs> but we, you know, we didn't. So. <laughs> we didn't, right? You know. <laughs> Right. Hey, you're allowed to entertain. Yeah. Why did Why did you stay? No, I did. We did stay. Uh, yeah. I mean, like, but what, what made you decide, like, okay, I am going to do this? Yeah. For me, uh, I think you know it was social. Uh, like all my friends and my girlfriend is here, um, and then I'm re I'm very good at school. Very good at taking tests, <laughs> and so you know every additional test that passed and that I got a good grade on, it was another reason not to leave. Um, and then I would also say that like my degree has, 
sort of gotten easier over time because they all it plays into each other. So like accounting, for example, as I have gotten better at accounting, I've got like all my finance classes have gotten easier and every additional accounting class has been a little easier. So uh, those confluent things, along with the fact that it's free, um, are the reasons why I decided to stay. But this podcast definitely made it more difficult to stay because we're constantly talking to people that are like, hey, I made a million dollars last year. All I had to do is drop out. It's like, wow, <laughs> maybe you're right and I'm wrong. They were right for themselves. Right. Individually. Yeah. Yeah. And Lewis? Yeah, I was going to say, I'll preface by, again, every answer is individual. So, of course, my answer is individual. Uh, similar to Kyle's, fortunate enough to go for free. So that's kind of like, a, well, if I don't have a, the, the cost of staying is essentially zero. And then uh, I also was in a degree I found to be, you know, obviously practically useful. I studied computer science. So it's like, I wanted to learn how to code. I didn't think school was the most effective way to learn how to code, but it was a way to learn how to code. And again, credentials are flawed, but they're not useless, right? They certainly beat no alternative. I was thinking of an analogy when you were speaking earlier just about kind of comparing college to like fitness in general, right? It's like you don't know what, let's say like you need to perform, performing a job is like performing a set of tasks that you need a set of skills for. Uh, but like, if you don't know what you're going to end up doing, you don't necessarily know how to prepare for it, but like you still might as well train like in general. So you like should do something, you should still work on your just general functional fitness. And I think college like fits very well into that category. Like you don't know what you're going to be doing. So this is like a way of accumulating skills that like are generally useful. Uh, you know, the, the problem of transfer in education, like to what extent is there some such thing as general intelligence versus specific intelligence and like context. But I do think that like learning the ability to comprehend difficult material, memorize that, synthesize, et cetera. I believe like those general skills exist. And again, college is imperfect, but it beats inaction. I think one thing Kyle and I really, that's been drilled into us through this podcast and like confirmed is that inaction is almost always the worst strategy uh, when compared to literally, like it's very Jack Butcher-esque as well. Just like start, do something, have something to say. And like, at least you have, you have to point, you can point to what you did. Uh, and so that's mm. a lot of why I finished as well. And then, of course, very strong social pressures. Yeah. And I think also no better alternative, really. Like Lewis and I, you know, we weren't chomping at the bit to start a business. And so, you know, there wasn't necessarily like if we were to drop out today, it's like, okay, well, tomorrow, what are we going to do? So, uh, yeah, I think all those things together. And, you know, I've enjoyed college. I mean, I've enjoyed meeting Lewis, starting this podcast, like a lot of things about my life I wouldn't have without it. And so I'm grateful, uh, for sure. That's awesome. You guys are wise. <laughs> thank you. Thank you. There, I don't know about that. From... We're, we're learning. <laughs> we, ahead, uh, we interviewed someone named Jeff Woods who hosts the one thing podcast, which is based on the book. The one thing he didn't write the book, but he like had the idea to turn the book into a consulting company, et cetera. And there's a line from that book, which is like, we are held back from our goals, not by obstacles, but by a clear path to a lesser goal. I think that's like, that kind of encapsulates a lot of why I stayed in school. So like, well, I may have had bigger ambitions, right? Like I'll drop out so I don't have to waste time on like these activities that I think are inefficient and largely unproductive, but not completely useless. And like, instead I'll have these two years of completely open days to use for pursuing the effective path at like the super ambitious goal. But the fact that that path is so ambiguous, right? You can't like, you can only see one step ahead at a time. Whereas college is like, there's literally a flow chart. It's like, do this and you finish it. It's a lesser goal, but there's a clear path. Mm -hmm. So that's why you choose it. And yeah. I think that explains why a lot of people end up like where they do is just 
so we have the the risk return curve, right? That's like, you know, you de-risk your your future by obtaining the credentials from college uh, to an extent, right? Not completely, but to an extent, you low like at least for that con confined time period, you decrease your upside, right? Because you're not going to be the kid who dropped out of college and started Facebook by 22. Like you remove that as an option, so risk return, both take a hit, and then. Uh, what was I just saying? I'm losing the train of thought here. But there's a risk return curve. There's one other curve I was going to say. Uh, the oh the the ambiguity curve, right? So it's the the risk return curve, and then like the the clarity curve as well. So it's like the less clarity you have about the path, it's like the super clear paths, right? To be like a doctor or a lawyer, like the prizes on the clear paths are less than the prizes clear. on the vague paths, but clearer. Yes. Does that make sense? But like the vague path, if you that requires a lot of ambiguity and luck and uncertainty to realize the outcomes, and there's no promise of them. So it's mm -hmm. risk reward, uncertainty, and reward. I think you explained that well. That's interesting, Lewis. Yeah, I think it's super interesting stuff. Um, yeah, I mean, like as I, it's also just funny to me because so many. I don't know. There are just so many times when people say. De degrees are worthless when it just makes no sense like counterintuitively if you want to get hired at a at a major tech company maybe you don't right but maybe maybe you will eventually who knows right but if if you wanted to you need to have a degree <laughs> they won't consider yeah. you and like a lot of the like the biggest tech companies if you want to move up on the corporate ladder you will not get the promotion if you don't have an MBA it's just like, and they'll tell you that they'll tell you like, like I I that I was re I was rejected for one tech company for two roles, um this was year, years ago where they were like we don't hire senior managers who don't have MBAs. Like period, like everyone who is a senior manager or above has one here, See, and that's just how that it works. The question is that, a, and this is like, you know you multi billion dollar tech company. Right. Right. Totally, and it's a totally fair question, right? So it's just. Whenever I hear anyone from like, any like Google executive or like LinkedIn executive saying like, oh, like we, you know, value young people and like fresh ideas and innovation, you know, like there should be more options and than just college degrees. And I, I, I laugh because I'm like, you wow. all only hire people with degrees, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> well, one thing I do think is true though, is that the value of a college education is decreasing in a time when, while the price of that college education is increasing. And so I think, the, I, I think you're coming into the same fallacy that of everything else, right? We're just are speaking extremely broadly. Yeah. We're just, you, well, know, there's so no the doubt that the price, well, I'm talking about wages. No, no, no. I think you're wrong, Lewis. Uh, generally, let's talk generally wages have yeah, stayed flat across the, the board, right? Specific circumstances. I agree, but the costs of college educations have continued to go up while the desired benefit for most people out of college is to get a job. Can we agree on that? The average Lewis? cost is going up. The average yeah. cost is going up it, while it, it the desired benefit sense. of a job is the, the wages are staying right. Thank yes. you. So, but you're comparing the, across all majors, across all things, etc. Again, which is why. as the cost increases, the value goes down. The value has been going down, and that's not good, right? I don't think that's good. I agree, that's not good. 
I think okay, the most perfect. important point we can move what, on. What makes, this, what makes this very difficult, right, is that what we said at the, at the outset, every set of circumstances is completely individual. So if you're paying right. increased tuition for a decreasingly valuable degree for, and your hopes are to get a job in something with declining demands, then like overall that strategy seems to be less and less intelligent. But mm -hmm. you, again, just every individual, individuals don't live the average. They live a specific, right. like the average is not real unless you take like a median or something. But that's, that's college. <laughs> yeah. I, th I think last thought on college, just to make it quick, is like the, the bundling versus unbundling piece that has come up in a couple of our episodes as well, which is like, you have to identify what it is you're getting out of college. And for every specific person, that's, that's quite different, right? Are you going for the social aspect? Are you going for the sports? Are you going for the credential aspect? Or are you going to like learn a set of skills? And if you're intentional about what you want, then like is the best way to like college is typically, again, this is averages, same fallacy here, but college, in my opinion, is like a seven out of 10, of everything, right? It's like seven out, seven out of 10 social scenes, seven out of 10 education, seven out of 10, etc. It's like, if that's, if you want just like the average and like, you should get that. But if your goal is like the 10 out of 10, like at education, then it's like, no, you just take the online course from the very best instructor for that one topic. And like, that's a 10 out of 10 in that angle, but then you'll get like uh, unless you supplement with some other social activity, like if you, let's say your goal is to like get the best computer science education in the world and have a really good social life, but you don't get into Stanford, I would do like the world's best free or potentially slightly paid online computer science education. That's borderless while living in Ibiza and like, cause it's online and it doesn't matter. And like, then you can just like go to soccer matches on the weekends. It's like, you know, you, you can put the pieces together yourself now and do a better job and probably spend less money. I think for most people, the bundle uh, is not the best. I mean, that's very individual is, though. It's like, that is individual. it's all what we're it saying. Is. You're right. Right. Yeah. But I think so individually the, you can make it as cool as you want it to be and fill yeah. all of those buckets. Yeah. I think we can all agree though that overcharging. So misrepresenting something that's a commodity as not a commodity is the biggest scam in the college system. So that's what the mm. community college thing is, right? It's like presenting general education classes at UCLA as non-commodified non-differentiated from just reading a calculus textbook or reading Shakespeare by yourself or in community college or anything else. That's the biggest problem, not the biggest, but like that's evidently a problem that applies to all of them. But the saying, presenting things that aren't commodities, presenting things that are clearly commodities as commodities and charging the non-commodity prices, that's the biggest like fundamental issue. But then certain things do certainly have hmm. non-commodified aspects. An Alabama football game is extremely unique. A UCLA upper division communications class with like a professor who literally was in like all of these Hollywood movies, like that's probably something you can't replicate, but the commodity aspects as well. So that's a lot of thoughts and we can probably tie a bow unless Amanda, you want to uh, say something to, in response to all the blabber Kyle and I just blabbed. <laughs> great i was like just nodding along i was like yeah <laughs> to your point though i mean you were spot on with uh the uh, with um non-commodified experiences right like like what you said about the ucla class yeah i mean like i could i have gotten a communications degree from any other university absolutely but i was paying to get it at ucla where you are right literally the speakers that are the speakers and professors i had like um, 
we had actual like former politicians who were professors. Like you could take a class with Dukakis, with uh, the former prime mi prime minister of Thailand. Like those are people who actually were professors at, at the school, and that's something you you can't just get anywhere. And to the point about communication studies, yeah, I, yeah. One of one of the guest lecturers that I learned from was the producer of Baywatch. Remember that '90s show? He was the person who made up that whole. You probably know this: how the show Baywatch is the most popular show in the world. You've probably heard that before in some fashion. He's the guy who made that up because he was like, that is something that nobody can fact check. Popular, most popular by what standard? Because he never said most watched. He never said most viewed. He said the most popular show in the world. Now that was backed up from the fact that Baywatch was highly syndicated to a lot of foreign countries. So... It wasn't a complete, it wasn't a lie, right? It was, it was just a, a thing he made up. It was plausible. But but for years, people would say like, oh, this this weird like beach soap opera, Baywatch. Apparently, it's the most popular show in the world. And people would go on to cite this for decades. <laughs> you need to say that, that your tangent. podcast is the number one marketing <laughs> architecture park podcast in the world. Because there's no other marketing architecture podcast out there. <laughs> Oh, that's so good. I'm so going to say that. This is the most popular marketing architecture show in the right. world. <laughs> Literally dozens of people are here. <laughs> that's so funny. No, I, I do think you'll have a, a, a larger than dozens audience when you launch uh, your Twitter account, uh, which I don't know. I've not been following you. So I'm trying to remember like how long I've been following you and the, the follower growth since I've been started following to stop following. But I feel like it's been substantial. Have you been putting a very intentional effort into creating this large growing following on Twitter? What have your strategies been there? What's the motivation for creating that besides just the optionality that now that if you choose to start a podcast, right, 36,000 people are going to see the tweet about it versus whatever it was beforehand. Uh, so walk us through that additional kind of side component, you could call it, to everything else that you've got going on. Yeah, so I, I started being more intentional or I started I started being intentional about growing an audience on Twitter uh, just over a year ago when I was working at Growth Machine, a content marketing agency, and kind of needed to build some personal leverage to kind of more organically get our content out there and get the word out on the agency. So I started with that. And then um, along the way, and over the course of the year and a half or so, um, kind of revised the goal to, you know what, I want to never have to do a traditional job hunt again. That's the new, that's the new goal. Um, and then, you know, was able to get my current role at SparkToro essentially through a Twitter friendship with Rand Fishkin, the founder. Like we, because I was tweeting more about my work and in marketing and in content, he took notice of me because he's the, probably the best known content marketer out there. Um, and so he, so we, we struck up a friendship and then I ended, I ended up joining SparkToro. So then, so then, you know, I thought, okay, maybe I'll, maybe I'll have a new goal. And the new goal sort of became like, can I be a kind of per, can I, can I create stuff that people will consume? So then it became like, I, I started growing a newsletter, have been doing that for the past year. And then now hoping to kind of extend that with, with the podcast and hoping that this will just be like a fun fun little space to geek out, try some new stuff with content, have fun with friends. 
um, and that. So that's kind of the the kind of the why piece behind it. The strategies behind it were, um, you know, being intentional about the content I was posting and the way I was engaging with with people on Twitter. So, you know, I think you could look up any. The usual growth tactics would be like commenting or being among the first to comment on bigger accounts, um, kind of picking a niche, right, staying within a topic. Um, those were things that I did, and you know, it it helped me at least focus on the types of content I would create and the kinds of accounts I would follow and engage with. Um, but the thing that other people don't, uh, it, it sounds weird to say like to grow your account, find big accounts and comment, right? It sounds kind of strange to say that for people who might be more so longing for connection, right? Um, but at the same time, those are the things that lead to connection, right? Like if I if I wasn't being intentional about what I was posting and who I was replying to and the content I was engaging with, then my current boss, Rand Fishkin, wouldn't have found me. You know, like it's it's a it's a lot of like you will kind of create like in publishing or writing online you will kind of create a magnet for yourself to attract the people and opportunities that you want. Well, I think we're going to be running up on our time here in a minute. Uh, we didn't have time for our bonus round, so I will just ask one quick bonus question to wrap us off. Uh, Kyle always complains to me that he needs to learn how to cook, spend more time cooking, cook more meals for himself, get Chipotle fewer times per week, et cetera, et cetera. And I listen, but I, I don't. And I send him a recipe. I'm like, a lot. I made turkey with, with salsa today, and it's pretty easy, and it's pretty good. You could probably figure it out. Uh, but what would you recommend for you know a young man like Kyle trying to get beautiful abs for next summer, some good home healthy meals, just like one or two quick and easy lunchtime things, who so doesn't have to go out and buy Chipotle? I love this question. You know, I'm gonna suggest that you learn how to make a, a pretty basic meat sauce for pasta. Um, you can get it, you know, if you're, if you want to be low carb, you can get uh, like a brown rice pasta. You can get like bonza, one of those pr protein pastas, chickpea pastas. Yeah. Or you can do a uh, like shaved zucchini, like zucchini kind of, if you grate it into ribbons, it could be, you, to, you know, you buy Kyle that, that would be a vegetable. Yeah, you do get a spiralizer, or you can use a regular um, peeler and just keep peeling the zucchini into ribbons. So you could do that. Um, and I'll just say basic meat sauce. It's okay to buy a jar of marinara sauce. Get organic. It's it's like fifty cents more. It's not that expensive. Um, get organic, so it's that's not it's not made with high fructose corn syrup. Get some grass fed beef, just ground beef. Saute that in the pan a little bit. Maybe add some chopped onion. Um, chop and chop up some mushrooms, add that too, get more vegetables in, pour over your sauce, let that simmer for 20 minutes and then serve that over your pasta. And then plus doing this like one recipe, like the, the pound of ground, you know, uh, ground beef comes in one pound that will cover you for like the next four meals or so. Okay. So just to be clear, like when you put the ground beef from a hot pan and like all that, like like grease comes out do you pour the grease out and then put the sauce in or do you do like i get real lost yeah. in the details real stressed out about everything going on so how, how right? loose yeah. yeah if i use a lean beef i don't get as much fat and i just kind of like whatever i ignore it if i feel like it's too much i'll just how use, do you know when it's too much know, though you know like that's my problem <laughs> if, like, if you don't I oh like, you know if you don't like it how about that if you're just like ew that looks weird 
if you don't mind it, then keep it. It's okay. okay. See, yeah, I don't mind it, it's, so I just leave it. The problem it. for me is like the exactness. There's just zero exactness except for if it tastes good. Uh, and so it's like, okay, yeah. well, I just don't know whether or not I should leave this in here or how much of it I should take out. Or, the, and, the and then I get real stressed out, file. and then I go to Chipotle. You're not willing to so. trade certainty for, for good taste. Right. I'm that vague. I, I need a straight line, you know, like being a, being a lawyer. <laughs> Okay, one one package ground beef, one onion, one pack of mushrooms, if you want mushrooms, one jar of sauce. Amazing. Well, I will tweet you a yeah, photo so of that when I make I say it. keep the fat. Okay. Keep it. Keep it. Keep will it. do. It's fine. <laughs> well, Amanda, this has been a really fun conversation. Thank you for coming on the podcast. If people want more from you, where should we be sending them? Yeah, thank you for having me. Um, if you want to keep up with me, uh, I'm on Twitter at... Uh, I'm on Twitter at Amanda Nat, uh, and then I also have my personal site, amandanat.com, where I blog occasionally. My newsletter sign-up is there, and there's also now a podcast uh, bad landing page. So Podcast coming soon. <laughs> Just go over to our podcast. If you're listening yep. to this later, go to our podcast. We'll, have it in the, we'll update the show notes when it comes out. And that wraps up our conversation with Amanda. Really enjoyed that. Um, she's super smart woman and has done uh, really interesting, like different things, uh, over the last few years. My three takeaways, number one of which is more things are individual than we attribute. So I just think that, you know, each individual is so unique that their experience and their perspective, uh, is, um, absolutely only and only theirs. And so like college, for example, that we get into in the podcast, um, it all depends on what you want out of it and, and how you're going to make it valuable for yourself. And I think that that's interesting and something people don't always think about. Uh, the second thing is that wildly different career and life outcomes are, um, only a couple of interesting decisions or difficult decisions away. Um, and then number three, you know, the, the problem that, um, they're solving for at SparkToro, I think is, is really interesting. I think it's interesting that the problem still exists, sort of like there, there's still this big veil between uh, creators and their audiences that we need it to be taken down. Like, and, and I think that it, it's just natural that it will be over time. Um, and I think they're doing really cool work trying to to unmask that veil and give creators um, more insights and and information about their audiences. Absolutely, great takeaways, Kyle. Uh, first one for me, also jumping right in, is the idea of kind of choosing your own adventure, so to speak, as far as college, because Amanda does a really good job of identifying the only pieces that are necessarily super valuable and what's not super valuable, like in the college experience. So for her, graduating from UCLA in a communications degree, what was valuable? One, that it said UCLA on the piece of paper. Two, that her upper division classes, uh, the ones that you actually get to engage with the really fascinating, highly successful professors are only the upper divisions. So what does she do? Like takes the first two years in community college, saves tons of money, and then graduates with an amazing degree affordably. And then I think that's kind of like the equivalent, kind of make a, a little metaphor here. If anyone's into nutrition, kind of like I am, there's something called like the dirty dozen. And then the, I don't remember the other half of this, but every year they put out a list of the vegetables and fruits that it actually makes sense to buy organic. It's worth your money. It makes a difference in like the nutritional quality of the food and the list where it doesn't really matter. Just buy the cheapest stuff because the pesticides, I guess, aren't that bad. 
Uh, so anyway, it's kind of like looking at anything you do, not just spending the most amount of money just for the highest quality of everything, because some things are actually fake high quality, like learning calculus at UCLA. You can just, you know, take it online. It doesn't matter. Uh, second takeaway from me is the idea of what you're speaking to at the end about SparkToro, uh, specifically the framework of sources of influence being what is unveiled to kind of give insights to the creator about ways to grow your audience. So Amanda shared with us using SparkToro, some similar people to us or some people that the people who listen to us listen to, if we could keep up with that. Uh, and then it reveals things to us like the words that they have in, in their bio. One of like the key kind of marketing fundamental principles is using words that your customers are already using in their own head, kind of adopting their language, adopting their vocabulary, adopting their phraseology, if phraseology is a word. Uh, and her tool kind of automates doing that, which is fascinating. I've really enjoyed spending some time on SparkToro. They give a lot away for free. Uh, so you don't need to spend any money to try this out. I haven't paid for anything yet either. Full disclosure, I'm just on the free tier as well. And I found it really, really interesting. Third takeaway is like you said about Amanda's kind of winding and interesting career trajectory. Uh, pattern I noticed is just being on a lot of winning teams. So Rand, who she's partnered with now, is kind of this legend in the internet marketing space. That's kind of like he's someone who's proven and really successful in the past. That makes sense that like joining him would be a good path. Fitbit's a company that you know did remarkably well during Amanda's time there. Uh, when she was doing content marketing, uh, Growth Machine, which we didn't talk about too much, but that's with Nat Eliason, who we've talked about a good bit on the podcast. These are all people who kind of have this track record of doing really awesome things and went on to win. And I think Amanda has been able to, one, contribute to a lot of their success and also enjoy being you know, in proximity to it and learn a lot as well. That's all I have to say for this episode of the Lewis and Kyle Show. A couple of quick wrap-up thoughts here. We've got about 90 other episodes. If you enjoy this one, I'm sure you will get similar value from the other episodes, though different because they're all with different people. Uh, if you want to show support for us, there's a couple of ways that you can do that. We now have a sponsor. It's called Espresso Displays. It's a company founded by one of our past guests, Scott McKeon, uh, from an episode in the 60s with Joe and Scott. Uh, to similar entrepreneurs to myself and Kyle, but like seven years older and living in Australia. Espresso displays are portable second monitors. They can fit in your backpack and you can take the power of two screens anywhere you go or just one screen if you want to set it up with like a Mac Mini or something. That's what I currently am doing. Other ways to support the show, uh, there's a link in the bio for the Espresso sponsor link if you're interested in checking that out. This is the second episode we're bringing that up. So, you know, just getting used to it. Uh, other ways to support us, just say, hey, right? We're on social media, myself and Kyle, both accessible and would love to discuss with you the things you're hearing on this podcast, thoughts you have, ideas you have, or any other feedback. Otherwise, share it with a friend or just don't do anything until next week-ish when the next episode comes out. Have a good one. Bye-bye.